Welcome to the Grow Room Discussions, a podcast brought to you from growroom420.com. In the Grow Room Discussions, we discuss the many aspects around growing cannabis. We hope you enjoy this episode. Check out our other podcasts. And of course, come and say hello on the forum at growroom420.com. Everyone's going to start at the beginning with a multi-purpose compost. And in the name, multi-purpose, eh? Like you can associate verb, multi-purpose. That's everybody's picked up a purple bag and used it to fill a pot at some yeah. point. Um, and it says on the tin, man, it's multi-purpose. It's going to last you four to six weeks for starting plants. And then you probably got to look to do something about it. Yeah. Um, most of the time that multi-purpose is made up of an actual like organic compost. So like some green matter that's breaking down but it's bulked out with um, like cocoa core and um, wood chip bark and stuff like that. So potentially if you've got the right life in there, you can break that other stuff down to make the multi-purpose compost last longer, but it's intended for that four to six weeks kind of idea. Mm. Which it does. I mean, if it was starting out in the soil, I know when I did, so I always just recommend the verve stuff because it is a, a basic compost and it, 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 it's not loaded up with nothing. And it is where you're going to start. If you're going to start in soil, you're going to go down, you're going to get, without any knowledge, buy this basic bag and you're going to stick it in a pot. And after them four to six weeks, you actually get to take control in a bottled form, yeah. which is kind of, can be a good thing for when you're learning because then you, you're like, okay, this is all depleted and I've got to take over what, what it's feeding on. So the understanding there kind of brings you into the cocoa realm of you're actually bottle feeding and stuff after the mediums run out of nutrients. But there, so it's got its advantages in that respect, right? But you still have to kind of revert to bottles eventually if you're not looking for the soil to live on. So that's the one thing that never really grasped me with soil growing is, is what if you are growing in a, in a smallish pot with a basic compost, you are pretty much on the same lines except for pH growing like you would in cocoa. But it's just a lot more guesstimating um, what stage you're at, I think. No, I have to completely agree, man. It's like that multi-purpose compost can be really good for seedling stage and get you four weeks into a really nicely established plant in a small pot. And then you've got the option of going to a big pot that, again, is going to last four to six weeks for that size of plant in the right size pot. Yeah. But it's still going to be growing and filling that space for that time. So it going into a final pot with plants, it kind of sets you in between. So it might last you six towards eight weeks because the roots haven't filled out everywhere and drained every part. So you're saying there is in... If you're running like autos in a yeah. fairly big pot and going a seed straight into medium, you can almost extend that four to six week um, idea because that's all about the, the right size plant for the right size pot. I understand, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, so if you've got a massive pot, it's going to extend that life of the nutrients in the medium, but only because the plant isn't sufficient size for the amount of medium it's got to feed from. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, no, yeah, I'll, I'll get that now. 
it's just on a similar note to the fact of when you're potting up. So if you are growing small plants uh, in small pots to start with, I mean, if you're in there for two weeks, obviously you're using up. But then you, when you do put up a mistake that I've seen is people start, because they've been feeding in that really small pot in, in, the, in these basic compost, they then start feeding when they put up and they carry on and continue. But there's no need because you are putting that smaller, smaller plant, plant potted up into a larger pot for the fresh soil. So yeah, yeah. absolutely, man. That's exactly it. So it's like you you refresh what the roots have to feed from when you pot up. Yeah. Or if it's a tiny plant in a massive root space, it's kind of exploring the whole time. And the whole time it's going out, it's finding new areas it can feed from until it reaches that edge critical mass. And then it's draining the medium. That makes sense. Makes sense. So what on that point, what would be in your opinion, the correct size pot if growing in a multi-purpose basic compost um, for a soil grow? Because this is something I think a lot of people get wrong. You say 10, 11, 20 litre. You see some people going in with, like you know, multiple US gallons. You're talking 25, 30 litres. It's an awkward question, man. Cause I know, I know. <laughs> it really comes on to that. What we first said is, like, when do you start feeding bottled nutrients? Yeah. If you have no intention of feeding bottled nutrients, then it's kind of like you almost have a, have to have a second plan. So having an optimum pot size, it kind of just restricts how big a plant you can make out of it. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, yeah, of course. Yeah. So if you go in one litre plot, uh, pot to start with, that will last you four weeks. Then you go into a five litre pot, that's going to last you another five weeks, maybe. Then if you go into a 20-gallon, that's your flower pot, and you're kind of away. You might need to sort it out right at the end. Yeah. But that's the right plant size feeding from the right pot size. Yeah. No, I, I'll get that. Obviously, then that, that comes into play with um, what you just said there. You can effectively almost grow um, with no feed using the right pots, right size pots, in, in the basic soil. But uh, then again, with the basic soil, you don't know what's in there. It's not always consistent, is it? Yeah. And the question is also then, is it, uh, are your old feeder roots just kind of, they got nothing to feed from. So they're dependent on everything that's going outwards. Yeah. yeah. Which obviously can't be beneficial to the plant over, over a period of time anyway. So. But that's your multi-purpose and how you could pot through it. But yeah. it kind of brings you to, if you're not, if you want to be confident that your multi-purpose soil is going to do a single cycle with only having to feed water and not having to take on any kind of bottled nutrients, then that's where you move into like the super soil yeah. realm. So this is where I struggle, which is why we're having this conversation because someone that's been a cocoa grower for a long time, um, never really dabbled in soil except the multi-purpose one, which I think everyone's probably dabbled in at some point. Super soils, and then there's uh, no, so it goes on. So yeah. Explain to me the fundamentals of super soils, please, GMO. No, so super soil is pr- kind of where we were getting to with the end of the multi-purpose soils where you're hoping that you can just water and put up consistently. But in a super soil, you're hoping you can load the medium to last the duration of one plant cycle. Be it a four-week veg, an eight-week veg, that kind of depends on the size of the pot you're working with but your intention is when you would go in to flush for your last two weeks 
your soil should kind of be drained of its nutrient value. So it's flushing itself almost. Is what you're kind of. So in a super soil, you've kind of got the option to go salt-based, slow-release nutrients, or you can kind of go organic large chunks that are going to take a lot longer time to break down. But as long as you make it to a single crop harvest without having to do any additions, that's pretty much the idea of a super soil. Okay. So I've seen there, you've made different recipes out there, isn't there? And I've seen them. I mean, they've always been around. They've been around, super soils have sort of been around, I think, uh, or have been more popular in the past than going to four organics. Um, yeah, as far I as, mean, yeah. that's where the whole cooking your soil comes from, is a super soil, because you have to put in so many nutrients that are potentially hot that it needs to balance before you can even introduce roots into it because they can become physically burnt by the heat of compost yeah let alone the availability of salts that kind of just need to be spread out within the medium that's what i was going to say like the drawbacks of it must be the fact that it's going to be a hot soil from the get-go unless obviously you're letting it do its thing for it while before you're using it or is there other ways to combat that because well, you are loaded up soil from the very beginning. I've seen them do it in layers, actually, outdoors in America. So giant. I mean, obviously, this is not stuff that you're going to have in, in the loft in the UK. But I mean, like, you know, five foot wide pots. And they actually have layers. So as a plant grows out over time, it hits these different layers. I don't know if that's similar to what we're talking about here. I think no, I, I, think, I think that can be kind of the bridge between super and compost almost. Okay. Because you see people using, like, a BioBiz light a seedling and early veg yeah and then going into a biobiz uh all mix so that's again quite a, a considerably hotter medium than the biobiz light yeah if you're in america you'd be talking um happy frog as a starter and then going into ocean fresh i think it's called ocean forest Maybe that's it. Ocean I'll forest. I'll get mixed up with the oceans and the fox. Um, to be honest, over there, but but yeah, yeah, you're using that low nutrient soil in the initial kind of small area where the plant's taken most of its nutrients from it, what it had in us in the seed form anyway, and just providing it a nice space where it can take up real low, gentle nutri nutrition until it hits that outside space. So again, it's real similar to potting up potentially. Yeah. But you've got that option of loading the the extra layers on the outside. I used to do similar when I was uh, starting plants with cocoa and going into soil. I'd like to do kind of a 50-50 cocoa soil for three inches around the clone and then it would just be pure soil around it. So that's quite mad. See, I'd, 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 I was not doing it for the same reasons, but I'd often start my clones in soil when I was doing that. I know zero error prop, but because it's a safer medium to start clones in, almost. I mean, for someone with a little knowledge, you're not going to mess it up if the pH is wrong or anything like that. But yeah, so, so this is basically the super soil, the, the, the basics of it is, is you're trying to load up everything the plant's going to need for the duration of one cycle being one cycle. kind of a specific bit if it if at the end of a cycle you turn it out and it's still usable that's almost a bonus for super soil okay like you've at the end you're fully intent on turning out that root ball and re-amending the medium so that it 
can do that single job again. Okay, I understand that a bit better now. So that's all. That's the bridge between a basic saw and a pot, and moving forward into um, yeah, an amended soil. Yeah, but then if you were potentially in the idea you wanted to reamend, but really low levels, so you could potentially start introducing microbiology to do the work rather than a salt-based or slow-release nutrient that's when you start getting into the more living soil. Okay. So you're not necessarily putting nutrients directly available for the plant. You're putting biomass, things that will be broken down by the micro life to become the nutrients that are perfect for your plant to take up. Okay. So again, from, uh, uh, we'll do the word. From a layman's terms, looking at soil, super soil isn't at all organic then. It's not in that realm of growing. It, it can be. The term organic's loose. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you can use as much bone meal as you want in a super soil. Yeah. Um, you, can, you can use a lot of bone meal and hot nitrates in a living soil, but it's going to take you a long time to get over what's called thermophilic uh, decomposition so hot compost when it's actually hot that's thermophilic and that you explain, you explain so this is what i'm saying this so is what this episode is make, about so yeah, yeah when you make a compost pile outside yeah. and it gets hot and breaks down yeah that breakdown the heat being generated is by the stuff being broken down. And there's certain bacterias that like that hot thermophilic breakdown. But when you're in a pot with living roots, if you get anywhere near like the insane temperatures a compost pile would, like 75 degrees, then your microbes are getting killed off as well as your roots are being singed to shit. Like plants don't like being cooked. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. I, I, I remember being on building sites and having loads and loads of compost delivered for redoing a back garden or something, and it was it was hot in the middle. So yeah, it, it might, as I said, it, it, we have to really look at this. Is I am almost ignorant to the fact of soil. So this is a it's going to be a learning episode for me, so I can sort of try and maybe hold I enjoy it a bit it better because <laughs> it also kind of helps me understand it as well when I yeah. try and explain it. If that makes yeah. sense, yeah. So, yeah, you're trying to almost avoid that thermophilic decomposition because it kills off your micro herd and it's not really the environment your plants want to be in. If it's warm, like if you've got real low levels where your medium is warm to the touch, I don't think that's a bad thing because all of my crops have definitely preferred, um, I don't know, a warm bed rather than a hot bed. Yeah. I can, I, can, I can understand that. I mean, the ground or just a pot is, is going to be cold, isn't it, on its own? I mean, it's, it's just the way it is. So a, a slightly warm bed from that can't be a bad thing. But obviously too hot. It's the same as having your pots at 20, 30 degrees. It's not going to... Right. And that trying to keep it at a, a gentle breakdown is kind of where your top dress comes in. So you're feeding the micro life to the point that it's sustained at a nice running temperature 
yeah. in my head. And that running temperature is almost dictated by nitrogen. So when you're making a compost, nitrogen is always the thing that heats up the metabolism of the compost and will make it break down faster or slower in that heat range. So if you add a lot of nitrogen, not only does the soil become really hot for the plants to actually feed from, it becomes physically hot because the metabolism's speeding up to break down all that nitrogen. And in that process, it's you're forming carbon in the root system and stuff, which is actually what the microbes' long-term feed is going to be. So when you start introducing cover crops, they can save you trying to introduce nitrogen in a hot way because they'll just be sequestering it from the air and it gets stored cold. In a carbon store as well, which is kind of like a double bonus. All right, so this is we're still this is now moving we're moving past obviously super soils into into the cover crops, which is obviously the amended side, isn't it? Yeah, man, this is yeah. where the super soil becomes living. Okay, because yeah, okay. we're no longer dependent on a salt or a preloaded amendment. Yeah, we're looking for biology to do the breakdown and the heavy lifting. And as far as the heavy breakdown, as in breaking down um, heavier items, i.e. bone meal, is that what you're saying is, is underneath the surface, that's all in there. It's going to be it, it's going to be working harder to break it down. So obviously a warmer temperature. Is, is that what we're going to there? And top well, feeding is slightly different because... There's a right temperature for it. Yeah. Yeah. Because once it gets beyond, I think it's about 32 degrees, all like the beneficial microbes... Yeah. most of their enzymatic processes happen around 28 to 32. So you take it past that and they start dying off and they can't do their job. So there's kind of like an ideal range for, for life to work. Something um, like that kit that Pete was talking about, the probes and that could probably be a good tool for this sort of thing, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But um, when it comes to top dressing, it's almost like you have to take a step back from bottled nutrients because the value of the stuff we're adding is actually a lot higher once the microbes have broken it down. Okay. So if you take um, the nitrogen content of a grain of sand, there's enough nitrogen in a grain of sand to grow a corn plant full cycle. Man, it's really... But it's only accessible once the microbes have broken down the sand into its base okay. element compounds. How mental is that shit? That is mad, isn't it? That is... So, yeah, yeah. when we're throwing handfuls of um, rock dust or, you know, uh, kelp meal and handfuls of the stuff, it's like... We're almost overloading the system because now it's got to take so much longer to break all that down. It's got to go into that hotter stage where the nitrogen has to be fixed to the carbon. And that's, again, where a lot of the heat comes from in just making nitrogen available for everything else in the process. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's real kind of uh, eye-opening how little you have to do once the micro herds 
doing its work. And with that in mind as well, um, once you've got a living soil, if you start seeing deficiencies, it's not a case necessarily of adding what you can what, what you see your plant doing without it's adding the microbiology that makes it available oh, okay okay now yeah this is making sense to me because we already know just from that previous statement there's insane amounts of element nutrition in everything in that pot it's just not being made available for the plants to get at for some reason yeah Okay, now this is starting to make more sense to me already. This is this is the thing. You have to be really interested in something or sit down and have a the discussion to really get your head around it. Um, no, you do, man. You need to so, be able to ask the questions as well. Yeah, and, and that's it. And when the discussion's already ongoing, sometimes it's a bit difficult to try and burp in with something that's, you know, probably basics. But everyone has to start somewhere, and that's the point. I'm, I'm a cocoa grower. The soil stuff has always baffled my brain. But So you mentioned there with the um, cover crops, Yes. So what is, again, I mean, we might have just covered that, but I mean, it, the, the purpose of cover crops is to... It's an interesting one, man. It, cover crops cover a real broad range of what they can do good for. So if you're looking to make a soil alive, microbiology needs roots. So mycorrhizae fungus, uh, yeah, yeah. Mycorrhizae fungus won't actually become mycorrhizal and be able to breed until it finds roots. Okay. So they need roots in the first place to be able to um, get their food, go through their life's like cycle and reproduce. So introducing a cover crop before you even think about putting a plant into the system, uh, your cash plant into the system as cover crops are real, you know, you buy a tens of thousands of seeds for a quid rather than a 10 pound seed. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just to justify that term. Um, but they're putting so much carbon into the system and making the soil alive before you're introducing what you want to take over and be the, the dominant plant. And in that whole process as well, you're, um, a lot of the cover crops are acquiring nitrogen from the air and they don't release that nitrogen until you kill them off. But in the whole life cycle, they're also sequestering carbon because that's what plants do. They photosynthesize, they make carbon mass from light and like elements. And if you're dumping that back into your medium, that becomes very quickly bioavailable plant nutrition. nutrition. So all them cover crops, as soon as they die, they're almost a bump start for what your plant can feed on. Well, that makes sense. That again, had no idea as to what cover crops would be used for, or in my head I had a few ideas, but it wasn't that. So that's well, interesting. Thinking about uh, how many people add kelp for the um, the hormones that help growth, a lot of them hormones are very abundant in young growth of every plant so if you're cutting back young growth the availability of those hormones that encourage good growth is just through the roof yeah and you're giving something against it you're introducing life with, um, by introducing the plants and then them dying is and feeding that life so it's a nice cycle isn't yeah. it it's, it's a nice uh, way also, of thinking about it uh, a lot of the plant the cover crops will also progress 
the more difficult elements to um, compounds that would be labor intensive for our plants. Yeah. And that means our plants can kind of pick them up and use them without too much effort. So it's like part chewed food for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's natural food as well, isn't it? So it's Yeah. Like, yeah. So we're in, obviously into the realm now of amended living soils. And that's Hell where yeah. we are. Okay. And that's where the world kind of opens up a bit because you've got a lot of freedom for what you put into any of those parts. You know, you can use whatever uh, carbon source you like. You can use whatever nitrogen source you like. You can use whatever cover crops you like. You can even use a mulch layer to replace the carbon sequestering plants. So chucking wood shavings or straw mulch on. You can encourage the bacterial and fungus growth because they're trying to break down that heavy carbon layer which would have been there by you cutting back your cover crop. Okay. Yeah. yeah so yeah. like like um at the end of the season when they're cutting straw and the straw lays like flat on a uh on a field for the winter and then over that winter that breaks down and becomes the next year's topsoil. Yeah. That's pretty much what your mulch layer and is okay. becoming. Which I've seen on what you, you, with the uh, straw on your plants, which is what you're doing. So, so be, is it the whole time that you're feeding it, you're also trying to make stuff that's going to be available later on. So, the appointment amended soil would be that obviously this is not something you're looking to use for one grow. This is something you're looking to continually improve and make better over a period of time. I I can't remember who said it, but it almost becomes a new house house pet. Yeah, the trick it sounded is, like it. <laughs> yeah, feed it little as it needs water it as little as it needs give it the odd treat but it's really about not overdoing it like that it yeah everybody i have heard and spoken to has always been in my progress to living soil i've used less and less and less so i mean as you progress yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. like and the the less they use, the more return they see for it. This is almost similar to sort of cutting off of subject, almost similar to setting up a fish tank filter. From, from what I understand of it, this is how it's working no, in my head. That is very, 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 very similar, man. Yeah. You, so you're establishing a culture, if that makes sense, uh, a happy bacterial colony. I like to use the word culture because I find it relates to people. Yeah. That makes sense. You you get cultures of footballers versus cultures of stoners. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it, it's very similar on a micro scale, man. Some things will lay back and really not give a crap until there's either someone doing bad or someone doing good, which I find fascinating. It's like 80% of microbes aren't beneficial or detrimental until one of the other extremes turns up. So if you've got a beneficial micro herd, it only needs to be about 10%, 10 to 15% beneficial for the other 80% to actually work as beneficials. If okay. you have 10 to, uh, 10 to 15% move in as pathogens, the other 80% will work in a negative way towards your plants. That's crazy shit. It is, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a real balance here. 
So you're starting to put me off now because it sounds quite complicated. But I well, know it's, it's no, not, but... but that's that's a very small margin for us to have to control. Yeah, if that makes sense. If that eight percent in the middle is always doing what the minor majority is doing, it's like any time you use a a folia that's got po- uh, beneficial microbes in it, you've probably already swayed the the balance just by the the sheer number you've applied. Yeah. It's just then keep your beneficials happy. And beneficials and pathogens usually have a slightly different ideal range. So we're, we're real lucky that our plant's ideal range most of the time is where the beneficials like to be. Well, it's just making more sense to me now as we're moving through. So the amended soil is basically you are trying to keep this um, micro community happy enough to continue working away um breaking down what you're giving it as you say um as little as it needs and making it available to the plant so you're not actually feeding the plants at all are we we're we're now moving we're, we're feeding the micro colony and keeping them happy and they're doing everything else for you you said it without me having us tell you yeah. i like that man i'm getting there i'm slowly listening to people it's just the, the cocoa a and b just pops up in my head like fighting each other but yeah it is, yeah, it is. So it, it's nothing to do with the with, with what you put in. So if you if, if I was looking at this, I shouldn't be trying to look at what. Well, I need to obviously be, make sure the essential elements are in there, but I shouldn't be looking at what I want to feed the plant. Really, I should be looking at keeping the micro herd and making sure that what they're breaking down is what the plant needs. But instead of looking at a bottle of nutrient and saying that's got calcium, that's got this, that's got that, I need them three elements, and I want to put that in there now. I want to be instead looking at what will keep the, the, the colony happier and providing my plant with what it needs. Hell yeah, man. And that, okay. that's where rock dust, I think, gets almost slated a lot because you get chunks of rock that they t- they're going to take so long for microbes to actually do work on. Yeah. But rock dust in a real fine powder, microbes will latch onto every side of that and... They're, microbes are literally the glue of your soil. When you pick up a bit of soil and it's a clump that's not compressed, but it's stuck together, that is a healthy microbe community that is glued together, that living medium. And, yeah, it's just that I find rock dust is like the catalyst that really sets off what, well, forming that kind of community that holds everything together. Yeah. I just think it's mad that these old microbes could break down rock even in dust form. But I mean, obviously, well, they do as soon as it, yeah, it. when it's in dust form, it it's easier for them because there's more surface area, and they're applying these real high level like enzymes that actually break shit down. Right? Nothing breaks down rock besides these little guys. Yeah, that's crazy. It is really, and I mean, considering what normally break down rock would be hundreds of years of weathering, these but little that, guys are in there smashing up. You think hundreds of years of re- weathering doesn't make it bioavailable. It just makes it into smaller particles. Yeah, that's true. So it is literally life has to be there for it to be able to be anything. It's crazy. I'm definitely yeah, getting more of the gist of it. So I'm trying to think of... No, sand, silt and clay. That's, that's where it all starts. And when you start getting into organic matter, 
you're already two or three steps up the chain. Yeah. So you're so, adding yeah. that to just basically starting at the starting block there by adding the rock dust in. With that, as you said, with the grain of sand, then the grain of sand idea with the nitrogen and the amount in it that could be would grow a corn plant is obviously if you're breaking down, it's, that's almost a super ingredient, then, isn't it? Over time, rock dust is obviously very similar. I mean, that's yeah. a super super ingredient if if you've got a healthy enough colony to start breaking it down. I believe green hand organics use green sand, and green sand is again is like crack for microbes. <laughs> it, it's got all the micro and macronutrients that everything wants and it's in such tiny little pellets that microbes go to town on it no fair play so I'm, I'm now starting to understand more because to me you was adding when you kept talking about rock dust and, and, and the green sands I was thinking this has got to be something to do with drainage so this is how ignorant you can be but again I'm a cocoa grower I do pretty well in cocoa I know what? my cocoa grown but to me you wasn't adding it for the for the microbes and when I was seeing these products and hearing you lot talk about them it was more this must be some sort of drainage aeration but sand I don't... you can really use that to your benefit if you're using like I don't use oyster shell flour I use oyster shell grit so it's like three mil chunks. So you do get a lot of drainage when you're using it. Yeah. But that's kind of like an added bonus. No, this is, this is a lot more interesting than what I thought now. I'm actually sat down having to talk about it. So this is amended soil. And so we've, I've now got in my head that amended soil is about, it's a living soil, we need to keep it healthy, we need to keep the micro herd healthy to do the work we need it to do to break down what we're trying to give our plants and make it available. So what would the next step be in that line? If there is an, is there another step after amended? Well, see, amended kind of bridges between super and living. Okay. So when you first amend a multi-purpose soil, you can amend it to be a single per a single cycle, so a, a super soil, or you can amend it with them long-term inputs and try and create a living soil. Again, it kind of comes down to pot size as well, which I don't think I've really mentioned yet. But when you've got a super soil, you've almost got a range of pot size you can use say 15 liters up 30 and above like but 15 should see you to the end of a cycle where when you're talking about living soil you actually need a bit more mass in the medium itself for the cycle to start taking over for itself so it's like sense, you, yeah because yeah, you, you need enough it. room for the colony to to be big enough to really take hold of everything and yeah for the for the wheels to start turning on their own yeah i mean that makes sense to me in something you're trying to get through one cycle of like in the super soul that's it but obviously you're not you're trying to create something that's going to live there for four five six seven plus cycles so you're going to need more in there for them to break down and obviously continue to add it so top dressing is where that comes in is in the adding of well i think it, it's almost that you with a super soil you can start a lot smaller with yeah. a living soil, most of the time, I think they say 20 is a very shy F estimate of the minimum you need. Like, I'm running 36 
40 about 40 liters per pot and i think if that was doubled then you'd see an, the uh, the metabolism get to the right point a lot faster with with a small pot that top dress is kind of like if you stop then the metabolism can burn out quickly and you've got to ramp it back up again yeah all right so that yeah i get that now with that so obviously you are creating a living saw of a mended saw and then moving into now a living saw the difference between the two well i think again it's that living soil is your focus is after the point that you've got everything that's in there you're just sustaining the the micro herd population yeah yeah and and amended is kind of the precursor to a living soil they can very easily be become the same thing depending on the pot size and the grower's intention right if you only want to do two cycles and turn it out then you can do a semi-living amended soil but you just don't have to have the full intent of getting a, a soil for life out of it. Okay. So no, that's making more sense. So an amended soil is the start of a living soil, but it's not saying that some people that would just grow amended wouldn't be looking to create a bed like, like I've seen with Josh or yourself, something that is going to be there for four or five years and continue to improve. Once you're doing that, you're in the living soil category. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's like okay. once you start having to turn out and break up what you've already formed, that's kind of detriment to the micro herd that would be in a living soil. As soon as you break up that root mass and the all the glue that we stuck together, all the particles with, as soon as you start smashing them up and putting them in different places, you're going back to amending soil rather than the soil living for itself. Okay. So, you know, I mean, it, it, this, this is, it, it sounds silly, but it's one of them ones where it's just, if you, you, you haven't looked at it at all, it's just always been well over my head. So, no, man, it's really justified discussion because I have some, a mother plant in two liters of amended soil. And there's no way that is going to be a class classed as a living soil even though it's the exact same mix i've got in a 40 liter pot that in my head is a living soil so so um the two liter pot i'm going to have to maintain the micro herd and make sure everything is at a consistent at, at, at optimum consistency because it's not got the sheer amount of medium to buffer the swings yeah yeah if it dries out i gotta start again if it goes sodden for three days, I've got to start again. Like in a big, if I was using a one meter by one meter bed and I overwatered one area, that would kind of sort itself out within a day or so. Where, yeah, if if this two liter pot goes peat tong, then it is literally okay. Reintroduce <laughs> all the micro. anything, isn't it? Two liter. Well, it, it works really well for cocoa. Because yeah. you can just trim roots, get back in there. But the, this plant, I was keeping a, as a, a cocoa mother for a long time. And as soon as I put some of the clones into soil, I've not seen it this happy since I've had it. So I had to kind of like amend the cocoa with with some stuff to make the mother into a more soil-based medium. 
and again it it's so happy to have I think that relationship man it it like it it did well on salts but it's much happier in soil yeah which is kind of crazy for me I wouldn't have believed that myself a year ago because this is what started to pique my interest is, is a lot of things that people are saying they wouldn't believe or a lot of ideas coming out of of the, the this it's not new this, this is the wrong way to put it i keep saying this new way of growing it's not it's just a more recognized and more accepted i think by the larger growing community to the point most of the guys that really know what they're talking about are growing in soil so it, i think it's also how many agricultures are soilless medium uh, if you're talking to farmers most of them grow in dirt there's only massive uh, like research and production sites for tomatoes and like even even a lot of cucumbers in greenhouse growing they're still growing in the dirt in the first place and then that's fed and adjusted although vertical farmers coming in with uh, the salad crops and shit sorry I'm just going off on a random tangent oh no it's good but this is what I'm here to listen <laughs> I'm here to listen and learn a little bit because it is. It's something I should know more about. It's just a, I had nightmares in soil, as I've mentioned a few times, man. That, that, that put me off of any form of soil. And then back then, the organic thing was in and out. You know, it was never like it is now. So, well, no, I want to have a go here. We're going to do the graph on the forum, and I really want to. You know, I need to understand what's going on. So this is it. This is this is almost a, a talking to a newbie, which it is really. You know, as far it, as. This discussion has helped me even decide what I'm going to do with some plants that I had some slight yellowing on. If it's like I, I really enjoy talking like th these talks because yeah, you know, I've got a plant upstairs that was starting to yellow off, and I was like, do I just top dress um, worm castings to try and bring the balance out? But in this discussion, it's kind of reaffirmed exactly what I need to do, and just make sure that microherds in check. So yeah, no, it's it's, it's so. So what would worm castings be the the cow mag of the soil world where you, it will fix just about anything? It, <laughs> it pretty much is, man. Like worm castings have so many good things in there. You could talk about them for days. Yeah, like most of the stuff that you try and foliar your plants with to give them a little boost is in worm castings. Mm. Like most of the stuff that you want your plant roots to be taking up the most of is in worm castings like and you mentioned cow mag so worms have this amazing way of wrapping their pelletized shit in calcium so I you talk about this yeah <laughs> they are literally like plant ready food pellets that's mad isn't it that's, uh, yeah. the thing. that's why it obviously helping people use worms I and mean, it's a healthy way to keep soil over so that again i'm not trying to push the, the conversation there but so to the living soil, we've already covered that, but would you be using worms and amended soil? Or would you not be using worms and amended soil? How this far is, are you going into it with that? This is a really open discussion. Um, a lot of people would say it's not necessarily advisable to introduce worms to, a, a, to pots that you're growing in because they like different environments. So worms okay. like a really wet environment. And again, they'll be operating in them top few inches. That that's that's usually the new breakdown stuff for our plants. So they're, they're not really doing the 
the earthworm job of going deep down and stopping the compaction low down in the pots. Mm. But if you're adding worm castings, the chances are 99.9% of the time you're going to have worms in your pot because yeah. they like to lay eggs. <laughs> like, and it's not a bad thing. Like it, Having fresh worm castings in the top three inches of your pot isn't going to do a, any bad. But yeah, it's a very open discussion about what's your intent with having worms introduced. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know, as I said, it's, it's, I've definitely opened my eyes up a little bit. Just without going into massive scientific stuff either, it, it has opened up my eyes as to the differences and where I want to be, which probably be an amended saw. I, I think know. so, man. Yeah. It's I think you want do to start. In. I've, I, I'm sure I said that on the another show at some point, but you like to be hands-on enough to correct it the next grow. Yeah, but um, living soil is so, kind of liberating and kind of restricting in the point. I do one thing a week, like that—that's it. If as in, not, like anything, if I need to do a top dress, if I need to do a foliar, I'm doing one thing a week. Okay. If, if it's not sorted by the one thing I do, then next week I'll try and worry about it. There's so much time in a living soil that if you try and bludgeon it, it's going a lot further in the wrong direction. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, I find it incredibly liberating because it's literally like, eh, it'll be right. I'll get to it next week. Yeah, it's quite mad thinking. See, as a cocoa grower, the, the, no, <laughs> baffle the brain, but yeah, no. But it, it sounds crazy, but nine times out of ten, it gets to day five, and I'm like, oh, it was sorted. Like, it, it really it does come around. It's it's putting your faith in the system, which is yeah. real scary and really liberating all at the same time. No, yeah, I'm definitely more interested in this now that we've done this. As I say, I know where I want to be. As it, when, you know, when there was like the three different labels, or more than that, obviously there's more labels and yeah, in personal and... terms as well. Because yeah. at the end of the day, the stuff I got upstairs is amended cocoa. It's not living soil. Like, it wouldn't... It's a soilless medium, technically. But, I don't know. Yeah, how technical do you have to be? Mm. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, it, it's that's half the problem, I think. Like, well, it has been the problem in the past, as I've said. People can really over-technic... Make, make things a lot more technical than they need to be. But um, yeah, no, I mean, as I say, I'm going to start with a starter kit. So the starter kit, what is that from Green Handle Running? Is that going to be classed? What, what, what category would that come under? That, so it depends. I'd, I'd say that it will depend on what size you, you go for. Okay. If you, I'm going to get the website up so I don't misquote anything. Um, but I wanted to say it was like a, oh, that's not right searching grey for some reason because I'm thinking 20 litre air pot or I do have some 30 litre plastic terracotta pots but they're tall a bit ah, too so tall for the tent I want to put them in so they are it, so the smallest is 25 which yeah. is pretty much bang on for a, a living soil okay um, yeah it's definitely a a hands on living soil kit 
So it really gives you the first-hand experience of building, well, a soil from the three basics. So your aeration, your compost, and your, your peat. And he offers its earthworm castings for your compost, because they are shit hot compost. <laughs> um, sta uh, sphagnum peat moss as your peat. Um, and then buckwheat hull as the aeration. So that's the, the three-part basics for every soil. Aeration, compost, and, and, and your peat, basically. Your retention. Um, when you've got those three kind of measured out into your simple one-one-one ratio, then the amendments he's got there are literally like you just pour each one in in their measure but these amendments so neem cake it's a banging all-rounder that's pretty much like going for a grow fertilizer if that makes sense so you've got all your your base um, nitrogen covered uh, your mpk is covered really well but it's got a load of stuff like uh, azaractin and um a load of antifungal properties but the antifungal properties are kind of interesting because they affect pathogens and not beneficials in our case okay which is kind of cool man like you can use a medication that's going to kill off the bad guys and will actually leave the good guys which yeah it's cool mm. um I'm looking, I'm looking at the list with you now as you're doing it uh seaweed meal that's everyone loves kelp Again, it's a very good cover all bases, full cycle nutrient nutrient covers your MPK really well. Everyone loves it because it's full of growth hormones, apparently. But little in, in asterisks, ninety nine percent of plants have growth hormones. It's just there's a slightly higher percentage in kelp, but there's also other stuff in kelp which is freaking amazing. Um, alfalfa meal, that's always banging stuff. But, uh, again, covers covers your MPK really well, but provides um, tricantinol, I think it's called, which is another plant hormone that helps with nutrient uptake and transport within the cell walls and shit. Um, gypsum, that, that's your calcium. And uh, sulfur as well. Sulfur is kind of interesting because your plant uses it to make secondary metabolites. And secondary metabolites are literally defense mechanisms, and that's all the shit we're after. Like, everything it's trying to produce to protect itself from the world, that's what we're growing for. Okay. So having a, a good level of sulfur is kind of important if you're looking for the highest potency medication. Um, I don't use gypsum myself. I'm a bit of a narc. <laughs> as weird as that's it <laughs> what do you use then uh i yeah. use oyster shell flour because i'm in a uh, well not flour sorry oyster shell grit because i've used um cocoa as my main base yeah it can load up very quickly on um calcium and lock out um potassium so no phosphorus no fuck i'm not gonna try <laughs> always <laughs> always m2 man m2 of you, yeah. um 
but yeah, so I, I don't use gypsum, but I will be looking to introduce it in the peat beds that I'm running. Okay. Um, because again, that sulfur is really, really valuable and using it at the right level, which gypsum is like, you don't need much calcium in any of these systems, but having the right amount drives everything perfectly. And then, yeah, green sand. Green sand, we've covered nicely, I think. That is shit hot. Yeah. For, um, Bokashi. So Bokashi is a cool one. It's pretty much all the effective microbes you need for cycling nutrients. So everything that's going to break down that NPK is in Bokashi already breaking down the, the grain into NPK. So it's, it's basically like a micro life kickstarter. That shit is, you can use it in your house for um, composting food waste. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, I was going to ask actually earlier, how would you kickstart the process of breaking down anyway? But yeah. Yeah, man. Bokashi is the one. Or um, a product I really like is EM or EM1 or EMA, depending on what <laughs> you want to call it. I've talked about this many a time, not knowing what the fuck it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's effective microorganism. Yeah. And. It literally says what it does on the tin. It's effective as shit to do everything. Yeah. Um, it, it's really cool because you've got three really heavy-hitting microbes that don't... They, they're not antagonistic against each other, so they don't put each other off what they're doing, but their life cycle actually feeds each other. So you've got a nice little trio that you can put in a bottle and it will almost stay good forever because they're just feeding each other in their own natural tiny cycle. And one of them's anaerobic, one of them's aerobic. Um, I think two of them are photosynthetic. So even if your water goes stagnant, there's an effective microbe in there that means it's not going to be a negative stagnant. It can still be a healthy stagnation, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm a massive fan of EM and a lot of the time Bokashi is um, enriched with EM and <laughs> um, rock dust. So I'm a big fan of Bokashi so, through association. Mm. No fair play. It's a soft rock phosphate. So, uh, soft rock phosphate. Um, this is literally... So if you're going veganic, and you're trying to avoid any like guano inputs, that's where your K comes from. Um, K is only pretty much available from biomass or in soft rock form, which is kind of like, it, it's a salt and any organic grower has okay. to use a salt, which yeah. is fucking cool. Like, yeah, it is because in order to stick we get in the cocoa, but yeah, it's different. I know. No, well, it's not, man, because this soft rock sulfur, uh, phosphate is pretty much what you dissolve in in them nutrient bottles. It's what they're using, like magnetic stirrers, to dissolve into water, so that you've got plant available phosphorus. It's fucking cool, man. Um, so yeah, that's basically your option to avoid um bat guano some bone meal feather meal um seabird guano it's yeah earth's resource for phosphate 
And that's okay. well, that's literally what every plant needs to go into flower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then fine oyster shell. And I think I've ranted you about co- you covered shell, that, yeah, when we've done the, the gypsum. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's interesting. Like I say, it, it's not saying that I can be able to take all of it in um, over the hour, but it's definitely something you can listen back to, and that is the whole point of these discussions. And I think we have a lot more of them. Some yeah. of them will be sucking eggs, and some of them will be real, hopefully, in-depth technical. I but think just... each one of them products we could probably spend half an hour discussing, to yeah. be quite honest. I've generalised as <laughs> as quickly <laughs> as I could. Um, but again, uh, there, there's a mention of uh, humic acid. Um, so you can add humic acid granules, and in my opinion, humic acid is your intention when you're living uh, when when you're making a living soil the end process of life is humic that's kind of that's what you're building in a living soil the entire time so to have a an availability to add what you're hoping the rest of it's going to move into can be very very good or very yeah. useful right because that is literally like that's the all the organic matter now plant available. Yeah, fair play. I think we should go over them at some point, maybe each and what what would be good for this. I think we could run this as a series alongside the grow off, maybe, which is looking at January, if I'm going to be involved in it. But that could be interesting because then we're going to really be. Have, I'm going to have to be getting into this, and it could be like you know my crash course. This is my crash course into the different types of soil growing and what's going on and then it'd be good and as as i said as a grower of many years just not ever getting into any of this i'm sure other people will be in the same boat especially when listening to some of the podcasts out there you you just don't understand eye-opening for what you're already using but didn't know how it was labeled yeah that's that that was what what started this with you and me when we were talking and then spartan said a few things and i think jack or maybe teo I can't remember, but it just started to, I said to you about where I'd seen these products before and it started to really, yeah, it was quite mad. That's what jogged my intentions into, yeah, I'm actually going to have a go at this because I've sort of worked with some of these products before or it's not as alien as, which it shouldn't be. If you start in a soil, then cocoa is going to be alien and and that's what's happened here. I've got so comfortable in cocoa now and the more salt bottled nutrients that, excuse me, this is alien. But that's also why I try sometimes to draw it back to the NPK values of some of this stuff, because it almost normalizes why you're using one thing over another. Yeah. For a, a bottled nutrient grower, like when we're talking about gypsum versus oyster shell, um, they're, they're both providing calcium, but how available it is, how quickly it breaks down, like you've we've already got an understanding about calcium. It just kind of becomes like, I've got more choices now about how I make it available or how I use it, which is a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, is on that train of thought, like this, the organic side of it and looking at the, the raw ingredients to get what we're trying to do out of bottled nutrients. If you if he was to, that would be a good one, you know, to compare the MPK, the ratios and what we're doing and how we're doing it. So how we'd get it from raw materials, like we're looking at on Greenhand Organics website at the moment. Um, that puts a lot of understanding in a grower's head, I think, instead of just a convenient way, which is what I like, and it's not digging of buying a bottle and having it all done for me. 
No, but, but again, you need that base understanding to be able to understand the next thing. Of course. There's, yeah, everyone's got to start with a bottle before they can oh, understand yeah, what they need to mix together to make their own bottled. If you can take a, you know, a confident... Um, what would be the word if that sound like an idiot? Um, consistent grower who's used to that, who haven't got any idea of it. That's what I'm saying. We've always said about learning in cocoa. I'm not going to go on that round. Everyone's heard it a thousand times and listens to us. But now I know what is happening. I can read my plants and I can do stuff. And now I know what I'm using my bottles for to move into something like this and be able to see what the raw ingredients I can use to do the same job. I think that's going to give me a completely different understanding of why I'm using what I'm using at the moment in bottles. So oh, yeah, man, I, that, that's literally it. All power yeah. to you for it as well for kind of recognizing that. Yeah. It is. I'm. I'm. I'm not ignorant. I, I'm. I'm stuck in my ways. I'm. I'm. This is. It makes me feel old saying this. I've said it a few times of late. But I'm. A, I am an old school grower. How did that ever happen? But, but man, I. I keep saying I wouldn't have anywhere near the confidence I do to approach soils like I am now if yeah. I hadn't been hammering cocoa for the last year yeah. hard. Right. It's, it's given me the understanding. It's, it's a, it's, it is the, for me still in my head without touching soil, it's probably the safest way to learn for any new grower um, because it's, it is a buffer between the roots and what you would have in DWC. And it's also something you can't kill. Now we've spoke about keeping the microbes alive. Obviously there's going to be something probably starting to live and grow in a, in a cocoa medium over a grow, but not like a living soil. So you haven't really got to worry about killing anything off or overdoing something. You can fix it in a day or two. We can come back to that discussion so. in half an hour or so. Right? What microbes live in cocoa? Yeah, this this is. <laughs> what I'm, I'm making notes. My pad's getting filled up here. You're, you're going to be busy, Jim. <laughs> oh, that's that's really where I kind of got stuck in the rabbit hole a little bit. I was like, I'm using cocoa, but what is going to live in this situation? Yeah. And then it's like there's stuff that is already living there. So you can tweak the cultures, as we kind of discussed, and get them to really work in your favor. Yeah. Trichoderma, man. Cocoa is brilliant because it's real high in lignin. It's real hard to break down, so only fungus and bacteria will go for it. But it also means that you've got a potential environment that's perfect for stuff that's going to eat botrytis or it's going to destroy powdery mildew. Like, Understanding where these certain microbes live can really help you use them to your advantage. Yeah, and and how to keep them yeah. alive and healthy. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So, yeah, no, it is a whole new world, man. And it, it sounds silly. It, I'm excited, but it is it's a whole new world, and it's 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 been there the whole time. But like I said, it just never really took off before. Not like it has now. And this props to people like yourself and the yeah, peer know. pressure. Yeah, hard enough until now. Oh, this is, oh, it's, 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 the chats just our, our podcast chats are just full of organic growers, and I, oh. I can only say how I'm growing cocoa like eight different ways. I can't do it nine because I start repeating myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting old, man. So I'm gonna have to go out and start smashing up some sore grows. But no, the point is, is it's people like yourself and everyone else that has been on the shows or in the chats or in the community that are doing the research and doing it. So it's good. This is more, see, you thought you were teaching me, but this is, which it has, but this was more me wanting to as well put your brain, because I don't think you give yourself enough credit with just the research and time you do put into what you do. No, so, I just listen to stoners talk shit, man. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's good. It's good though, mate. It's good, and it's going to a lot of people will benefit from it. And that's that's what I mean. I'm going to be sucking eggs some of these. I think moving forward, especially the list that I've got ready. <laughs> it's uh, not everyone. Someone has to start somewhere, and someone may find some of the information useful, or to someone like me, it's quite eye-opening. So, well, the topics are still open for discussion as well, which is kind of, of course, brilliant. Yeah. Like we we can all be our own little home experts and kind of give each other the information to move forward as well. There's no reason why um, opposing information can't be can't be used to produce this, a, a better end result together. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, definitely. If you're not liking something, but I am, maybe we can work together and figure out what the difference is. That's sort of why I'm on this organic thing. Oh, I really I do want to try it. I like my growing, and I, I mean, as you say, some people are just into different things, and it's just never been something for me. That's, but I do need to know more about it. You know? you'll enjoy it as soon as you start finding out about it exactly i already am i already am enjoying the idea of it because i'm able to put see i'm not i don't think of myself as scientisty or nerdy but i do like problem solving and that's why i love my kit and that's why i really like talking to pete yesterday because your hands on man yeah i like this exactly it yeah I, i'm i'm it's the same with anything like in the building trade though i never never done no college or nothing but i was very good at what i did uh, it's my go fishing i mean i I can't sit there and read up on how the latest technology was doing stuff, but I, my, I just sit there for hours just twiddling with my rigs or my knots. What I'm saying is, is yeah, now I'm looking at these different ingredients and what they might be able to do. Or, you know, I'm excited about jumping, running before I can walk. And already, once I'm using something, start looking at alternatives. Start looking at what else is out there. So, yeah, it's definitely, definitely peaked my... It's just a matter of getting... I think everyone can enjoy something if you get them in the right way. In saying, like you said, that that comment was like, yeah, it can't happen again. And it started you off on, on a rabbit hole. But to, for me, it's not the soil growing. It's not the uh, environmental impact. That sounds bad. It's the fact that this isn't too far from what I'm doing. And I can enjoy it for the same reasons that i do my cocoa and that's what's going to get me into it so obviously i would like to have a, a less environmental impact well man else, but... that doesn't have to be i mean the everyone's path's completely different you don't have to justify your choices to anybody yeah like, well, this, is, this is that clear and everyone's if, different. if anybody the thing is man like when i once when i first heard uh dr mj coco um, mm. The reason I first got on board with him in general was because he said he grows cocoa because it is the most economically efficient way to do it indoors. And he justified his argument perfectly for me. Yeah. That, that was, that's all it takes. Justifying your argument in your circumstance yeah. and growing salts in a hydroponic setup can be the most ecological choice. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it, yeah. yeah, it's it's really like don't let any organic narc put you down. Because... <laughs> I like this fellow already. <laughs> no, genuine man. <laughs> it, it's it's full genuine because that's the a real freedom you've got in this game. Like I keep I say it on the groomstead. I think quite often it's like if you if anybody asks why you use something over something else, the only thing you have to say is because I couldn't get that and this was local. Yeah, like okay, you've won. Like, there's no fucking rebuttal. If you had to order it from six miles down the road rather than getting it from your corner shop, you've already like. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter where, how it was produced. Like, 
So yeah, there's all I love that moral high ground rebuttal for everything. Like yeah, that's to be the half the problem for me. I really have been put off by growers sometimes with the organic side of it through not letting people have their argument or having to shoot their argument down if that makes sense or their mm. opinion down and that's what's done me with the organic side and it really it's almost put a wall up to the point where i didn't want to go near it but i've got to say it's got his hook in me now like i say because i'm looking at it differently but that's it's like really when you see a, a christian <laughs> man it's like when you see jehovah's witness knocking doors yeah. you don't want to be that person so you hate christians yeah it's like you see one organic person narking at a salt grow and you're like, I never want to be him. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. The thing was before, the organic, proper organic growers, or I know it's a loose term, will say proper soil growers, not bagged and bottled soil growers, were few and far between. And it just seemed to be more of the, without putting labels on it, hippie. Trendy, trendy yeah. thing, man. Yeah, it, it, it was, yeah, it was, and it was almost more knowledgeable. And and I've said it before, but that's when you've got someone telling you that they're looking at you, grow, yeah, it would have been better with this or that, and you think you look shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> I try and pull your head off here because you have never been in my room, but not because I thought I was good, or not even me. You know, it's not even ever. I've seen other people never got other people, and then it's yeah. just like, Arr! but no, it is completely different now, and the the knowledge is being shared and my. Uh, everyone we seem to talk to Chiba is on the, is on this style of growing you know obviously they're not growing but the the, the, the breeders they work with um we spoke to dynamico today and same thing and um green hand organic well, is you said organic earlier and organic's one thing but it's very much progressed into regenerative yeah so there's 101 bottled organic nutrients yeah but not one of them is going to be sustainably sourced, truly sustainably sourced and regenerative in their practices. Yeah. So they're not actually, some might come close to being CO2 neutral at some point in the chain, but as soon as it's transported further and yada, 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 of course, like, yeah. organic just is a term to say how it was sourced. Mm. Like, same as you know ecologically friendly and all the rest of them but it regenerative is almost what people are pushing for now if you can close I the loop that word yeah yeah matt it's it's turning your food waste into your plants food which we have enough of in this house <laughs> i had the biggest plants on the planet <laughs> it, it, it blows my mind man like i'm gonna have to expand my worm farms because i i make quite a lot of green waste I, i'm trying to eat a little bit healthier and stuff but it's i'm still having the compost probably two-thirds of my green waste because the worms can't keep up with my yeah. produ like production but if it got to the point i could be pretty much closed loop then well it blows my mind how fertile shit would be for how much i kind of waste as well yeah yeah, yeah it makes uh, sense doesn't it i mean uh, we're, we're big i like fresh veg and roast dinners i mean the shit we throw out i mean we used to fill up carrots when you peel carrots i'm literally like well that's the worms portion yeah. But this is it though, honestly. I mean, we throw away more veg than we eat, I think, by the time you've peeled it up and I've cut it into all my shapes and that. So, yeah. But I say, I, I could enjoy that side of it, I think, as well. So, I'm definitely going to have to look at it. The worm side of it, I don't know about. I'm not going to be in the house anyway. So. It doesn't have to be in the house. And to yeah. be fair, 
you don't even have to really keep worms. You can you can have a compost pile that's incredibly friendly for worms. Yeah. No, I'd like the idea of trying to keep worms. I, I, I would like that, but it's just... I, it's just I'm, I'm, I'm scared they're, of everything with legs. They're man, a powerhouse, man. Like, I've, yeah, all, all credit to worms, because it's literally like they supercharge shit. Don't get me wrong. They are in there to eat the micro herd. That's just, that's like that's what they do, <laughs> but a good majority like of, of uh, Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah, no. This is the thing when I when I pick up a root ball and I see loads of worms, I'm like they're lurking, waiting for a minute. They're assassins. Like they're, they're ambush hunters. Like they're not chasing stuff down. They just go where the microbes are going to turn up. Yeah, but a lot of the microbes survive the process going through them as well. So they're again just encapsulated humic and fulvic and calcium and a micro herd all in a tiny little pellet ready for you to put into your plant pots right. yeah yeah worm castings are gold well, and, and, yeah. and it's free it's not even free it's like it's it's useful of your waste yeah right? that's the beauty of it beyond free no it's it's, 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 it's been eye-opening today mate and i appreciate it and yeah, I hope we can do more of these and maybe other people be involved as well that don't understand certain things because we've got we've got a wealth of knowledge between a, a good few people and some people just don't understand certain things and, and that's just everyone has to start somewhere on you can be the best DWC grower or the best cocoa grower or not the best, you can, you can be a confident, uh, consistent grower and have no idea about another side of growing and it can be quite scary. It has been. I've been intimidated. By some of the conversations that have been had so well there's lots of takeaways you can always take like i again i always use the reference i was watching the aquaponics conference i have no intention to ever grow with fish but mm. the information that i got about how different elements react with each other or can re replace each other in how the plants use them is invaluable yeah no yeah well that's exactly it. what i'm hoping to get from this i'm going to be honest unless i am completely sold with it i'm never going to leave cocoa i mean it's just it's my thing but what i'm hoping to gain from especially doing the grow off which is probably gonna be january like i said is gonna be knowledge like you say takeaway i can take away why i'm using what i'm using that's what's got you hooked so i can learn why i'm using what i'm using and then bottles out there and is there another alternative? Or I might end up going right down this the, the, the saw route and never going back. You never know. But yeah, I, I know I'm going to take a lot away from doing it. And by doing it, when you it's like now I've had to shut down for a little while. You know how hard it is to get involved in the diaries when mm -hmm. you mean shut down when you're not doing it. It's it's like a switch turns off in your head. So the point is, is when I'm doing an uh, an amended saw grow or a living saw grow, I'm going to be a lot more interested in the discussions. So. I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be a good grow and um, hopefully I'll do it justice. Well, I think you'll pick up the terms easier when you've got hands in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well. Of course. It's like start growing. I mean, you could tell a stoner who has never grown before what LST is. They ain't going to remember that two weeks later. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's true though. <laughs> it is. It <laughs> you is. Know, topping a plant. Oh yeah, that's the one where you, you, you pinch the stem. It, 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 we've all been there we've all been stoners before we started growing we've all liked to think we know about growing plants and you don't until you're doing it so yeah you're right I, I will no doubt pick it all up 
And I heard somebody it. call a super crop a monster crop the other day, and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> my stomach dropped out my ass. And I was like, my good grief. But then you're absolutely right. We're all stoners. If you weren't using a method or talking about it for a year and a half, I'm sure I'd start mixing them up as well. Yeah, see, you forget, and that's even if, you are, if you've been doing it years, you'd forget stuff. How many times do you see growers coming after like 15 years and they, just don't understand. I mean, it's not that they don't understand. That's the wrong. I'm not trying to put people down. They have a different language. They have a different language, yeah, and they can't get their head around it. But the reality is, we're still doing it. If you're in soil, in living soil, mended soil, super soils, whatever you're in, and you're in cocoa, you're doing the same thing. It's just different tools to do the job. All right, thank you, Jimo, for taking me through all that. It's uh, definitely eye-opening stuff, and I can take a lot away from that. I'm sure other people will as well. So, no, nice well. Hope to have these discussions as often as things pop up. Yeah, this is it. I definitely, definitely got a, a list in my head of where I'd like to go with these sorts of things. So and it was uh, content for people that uh, it's just listen to and waste an hour or nearly two hours, I think. And um, also for, you know, to, to hopefully take this away from, like I have. So, you know, just openly admitted that I'm a complete noob when it comes to anything with worms in it. But it's good because I'm learning. And you've always got to ask the questions, otherwise you're always in the dark. Yeah, exactly, mate. Yeah, I was sitting there fragging out on some of these shows, but the truth is if I don't tackle it and try and learn it, I'm always going to be fragging out on these shows when the questions come up. So, yeah, happy days. It's always a pleasure.